0: Welcome, Investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley.
1: Hello, everybody. It's Jared, your host. This is another episode of All Things Crime. I'm excited this morning to bring in a special guest, but before I do, I just want to remind you to everybody subscribe and, and hit the bell so you never miss an episode. And just want to say thanks to all of you viewers and listeners. And wow, just can't tell you thanks enough for all your support for the podcast. But this morning, I'm bringing in Dr. Scott Bond. He is a criminologist and a specialist in serial killing. He's also an author, he's got his own podcast, and I've been doing a bunch of research on him. And I'll tell you, uh, Scott, you have just a plethora of knowledge and information out there. Boy, you, your books, you know, the serial killer and or, or the fatuation with this. I, I don't know the exact. I've got, I've got your whole. Why, uh, we,
0: why we love serial killers.
1: Yes. Why we love serial killer. I got your whole resume here and maybe I had to turn to it so I don't uh, screw this up too much here. So why we love serial killers, the curious appeal of the world's most savage murderers. And uh, boy, if that isn't a title that captures everybody's attention, I don't know what will. But I've also seen some of your latest articles, and we'll definitely get into that, you know, why the true crime audience is predominantly female and, and those kind of things. So just a fascinating discussion that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. So it's awesome to meet you. And I see you're in Las Vegas, my old stomping grounds from 20 years ago. And welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jared. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Excited to have a conversation about all things true crime. Absolutely, boy. That's the topic of the of the season, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. It seems that everybody's. Um, we always have plenty to talk about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I was reading a newspaper article this morning about a guy that, and and this has this I, I think goes hand in hand with what we want to talk about today. But this guy up in Seattle, he's a felon. And I'm not sure what he was doing on the streets, to be honest, just walks up to a Tesla on the street and just opens fire. He had a he had a nine millimeter gun that he'd stolen and killed this lady who was 32 weeks pregnant, injured her husband, but just shot through the through the passenger side window and the windshield. And they said it was totally unprovoked. They have no idea why this guy did it. But I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with the psychosis that so many people have out there. And I know you're an expert on that, so uh, maybe we could start with that. What do you yeah. think would inspire somebody to just walk up and, and shoot somebody?
0: Well, I think this is part of what I've been observing for some time now, which is you know an uptick in these crimes of, of just anger and retaliation and frustration. The mass shootings, the terrible mass shootings, where we've seen a, just a tremendous uptick in over the last 10 years. And I think it has to do a lot with societal conditions that are prevailing in the United States now. I can't remember a time in my life Perhaps the 1960s, where the country was this divided along so many different lines, people are angry, they're frustrated, they feel powerless, alienated. And in those type of conditions, some people strike out in rage and retaliation. And that's really what, what mass murders are. You know, the pub- Mass public shootings are perpetrated typically by a fatalistic individual who often wants to go out in some sort of a blaze of glory and make a statement. And take out as many people as possible because they feel that the world has done them wrong in some way that's the you know that's a typical model of a mass shooter and then at a more micro level like like you just described an individual incident like that also just smacks of anger frustration and wanting to you know hurt someone just uh, out of um you know out of out of rage and of course that individual might also have pathological mental issues as well but i think a lot of this is literally due to the social forces that are prevailing in our country right now. I mean, everyone's waiting for the next shoe to drop. What's going to happen next? And, and and there's just so much angst out there. And in that kind of a, a social, political, cultural context, very bad things are going to happen.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty insane the way there's so many people out there that I think have some sort of mental illness, or instability, but then you, you compound that with The fact that social media, for example, and and I think this Idaho shooter that that killed those four students up there is a is a good example. He um my understanding at least is he was kind of shunned. He was he was socially awkward. He was almost like stalking one of the victims. And she probably as a as a social media influencer, but for the most part, just a young girl that was just pretty much ignoring everybody other than herself and She didn't reciprocate his, I don't know, promptings, whatever, in order to, um, it's hard to describe but you know, so many people are just having out, having fun and doing their own thing and they don't have time to pay attention to everybody else. And some of these folks like this, Brian Koberger thought that he deserved attention from her. And when she didn't reciprocate that, he lashed out.
0: Well, you know, the Koberger case, of course, is you know very much in the in, uh, front of the news right now, and his trial is actually going to start later this year. Now, in the case of Koberger, it's really kind of an interesting dynamic because what he's charged with is essentially a mass murder, four for people in one incident. But I see tremendous parallels between his evolution, his progression, if you will, to killing throughout his teens and into his 20s, Very similar to a serial killer, very similar, in fact, to Dennis Rader, BTK, who I have studied uh, extensively and actually spent a tremendous amount of time corresponding with. They both have degrees in criminal justice. They both had a fixation with stalking and a desire to prey on women. And in both cases, their their initial killing was, in fact, a mass murder because BTK killed a family of four. That was his first killing before he became a serial killer. And I've been saying this for a while now, that if Koberger had not been caught, assuming that he is found guilty of this, had he not been caught, I think there's a tremendous likelihood that he would have gone on to become a serial killer. His progression and his evolution is not that of a mass murderer. It is much more that of a serial
1: killer. Interesting. So when you say serial killer, why don't you define that for the audience? Sure, absolutely. So
0: a serial killer is an individual who is killing in multiple unrelated incidents where the victims themselves have no connection. And generally speaking, the perpetrator has no relationship with those victims. That is very different than the profile of the average murderer in the United States. As I'm sure you know, Jared, in about two-thirds, perhaps even 75% of all homicide incidents, there is a relationship between the perpetrator and the victim. That's simply not the case with serial killers. Serial killers are killing individuals because they represent something to them. Either they're attracted to them as a profile, or perhaps they have a mission to rid the world of uh, prostitutes, or people of a particular religion or race, for example. So these incidents are not related in anything other than the victim may fit a a particular profile. And these are happening in multiple incidents where there typically is what is known as an emotional cooling off period in between the killings themselves. And this is the period where the killer will come down from what is often like almost like a narcotic high, an adrenaline high and cool down and blend back into what often seems outwardly like a normal life. And then what happens, because they're not driven by anger, they're not driven by the normal emotions that, that lead to homicide 99% of the time, they are driven by a hunger, an internal, psychological, visceral, almost a physical hunger to kill. And when that creeps up again, when that be- reaches what I like to call a tipping point, they will then kill again. And the period of time that it takes could be weeks, could be months. In very rare cases, like Dennis Rader, buying Torture, Kill, even years sometimes in between these incidents.
1: So there isn't like a standard cooling off period?
0: No, no. Oftentimes, over time, will escalate and get shorter. Like in the case of Ted Bundy, it escalated over time. That sometimes happens. But in terms of like, does one size fit all? Is it always two weeks in between murders or one month? No, no, it, it varies. It varies by, uh, by individual. Just like the motivation of each, ins- each serial killer is individualistic or idiosyncratic. I'm often asked by people, is, isn't it always sex? Is, aren't they always driven by sex? And the answer is no. More than 50% of the time, it is not driven by sex. It could be something like a mission and, and there are in fact serial killers that are known as mission killers where they assign themselves a mission of ridding the world of sex workers or ridding the world of homeless men for example they give themselves this mission and they go out and they kill these individuals repeatedly there are serial killers that are known as visionary serial killers and david berkowitz the son of sam is probably the ultimate poster boy of visionary serial killers. He believed that Satan was directing him to to kill others. And so a visionary serial killer is responding to some perceived higher power or higher authority. Could be God, could be Satan, could be the man in the moon, could be Ronald McDonald telling them to, to kill other people. So there, there, there's actually at least six different categories of serial killers based upon the need that killing serves for them—the the fantasy-based need that compels them to kill. Ah, uh, wow!
1: Well, it's scary to think that these guys are actually <laughs> walking amongst us. Um, uh, absolutely. So be, before, and you brought up David Berkowitz. I want, I want you to um, expand on that. But before you do. What, <laughs> Do you think there's an increase in, you know, the sociopath serial killer type that is out there or is it, are we just hearing about it more?
0: Let's use some um, actual numbers, okay? It's estimated that there is about 1 million adult male psychopaths in the United States, about 600,000 adult female psychopaths. Now, sociopaths are more a little bit more common. It's estimated there's about 8 million adult male sociopaths, and about 6 million female adult sociopaths. But out of a country of 330-some million people, it's still obviously a fairly small pool. But these individuals can be very troublesome and problematic because they tend to be predatory in nature, although the vast majority of them do not kill. Okay. So that just gives you some, uh, some ideas, you know, idea of, of, of the number out there. And it probably would be useful for me to actually give a definition and a, and a distinction between psychopaths and sociopaths. But I, I want to first address your question that actually serial killers are dramatically on the, the decline since the 1970s and 1980s. There were during the 1970s, which was probably the heyday, it's, it's, when, it's when the term serial killer was actually first used by the FBI it was in the 1970s, 1974. Bob Ressler, one of the legendary profilers, used that term for the first time. It's estimated there were about 650 serial killers on the loose in the 1970s, up to 800 or more in the 1980s. Today, currently, the number's way down, maybe a couple of dozen, three dozen so far this decade. So you can see the numbers are way down. And they, the reasons that they're way down has to do with first and foremost, we can thank the FBI and the much better tools of detection, identification, and apprehension. So we've just gotten much better at identifying and you know and actually apprehending these individuals the public has become much more vigilant than it was in the 1970s. You know, my grandparents, you know, were hitchhiking across the country and thinking it was a great adventure. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. People don't leave their doors unlocked anymore like my grandparents did. And we have actually learned to just be much more vigilant since the 1980s. And I think some of the, I like to call them the OG true crime shows like Dateline and 48 Hours in 2020, in addition to scaring the hell out of us for the last 40 or 50 years, they also taught us to be much more vigilant and things to look out for. So they're educational you know, in that regard. And then, of course, DNA. DNA has been a game changer. The Golden State killer, you know, serial killer was apprehended not that long ago based upon actually ancestry DNA. So I think there are a lot of reasons why, you know, the numbers are, have gone down dramatically. So that's good news insofar as serial killers. But that doesn't mean sociopaths and psychopaths have gone away. And they're simply manifesting themselves in different forms. And some of these individuals, unfortunately, who were perpetrating these horrible, mass shootings could quite well have these antisocial personality disorders as well it's a bit of you know there's this myth that the mass shooters just snap one day they just snap go crazy, grab a AK-47 and go shoot up the local shopping mall. That's just not the case. These individuals, it's a progression over time where they escalate and they often hoard guns and, and they prepare and they have extensive planning that goes into this. So they don't just snap. And they also, they're not typically mentally ill from the classic paranoid schizophrenic standpoint. They're troubled individuals, they're angry individuals, they're alienated individuals that, that just have a vendetta towards society, but they may not actually be clinically mentally ill at all, which, by the way, would you like me to sort of break down the difference between psychopaths and sociopaths?
1: Oh, you know what? That was actually the, the next thing I was going to say is because I, I think what you're describing, the guy that snaps is more the sociopath, right? As, a, as uh,
0: No, not necessarily. Not okay. necessarily. Here's the thing. I get this all the time, all aren't right. all serial killers, you know, mentally ill, they gotta be mentally ill. Look what Jeffrey Dahmer did, he killed an eight, seventeen 17 people, isn't he mentally ill? Well, from a layman's perspective, sure, you know, they're batshit crazy, right? But <laughs> from, from a, cl- a clinical standpoint, from a clinical mm-hmm. standpoint, according to the American Psychiatric Association, the vast majority of serial killers are not mentally ill. They fall into one of two categories, Either psychopath or sociopath, and these are not considered mental illnesses. They're antisocial personality disorders for which there is no known cure. These individuals are not having delusions, they're not seeing apparitions, they're not hearing voices, you know, like a truly psychotic individual. It doesn't work that way. The hallmark of a psychopath and a sociopath is the fact that they just have complete disdain toward the needs and the feelings of others, disdain towards society and its rules. They simply operate based upon their own need system, what they want and what they want right now, and they don't care who they step on or hurt to get what they want and in the case of a psychopath there's the whole nature versus nurture phenomenon are they born that way or are they made psychopaths we believe are born that way it's a function of nature biology in fact if you look at the psychopathic brain it processes information throughout the brain mapping the brain differently very differently than a normal human brain the frontal lobe of a psychopath is almost dead. There's almost no brain activity, and the frontal lobe is so important because that's what controls impulses. That's impulse control. That's what keeps you from when you say, "Man, I hate my boss. I could kill him." It, that's what keeps you from doing it. In the case of <laughs> Ted Bundy, they don't have that. They, they don't have the brakes. They don't have the impulse control, so they. Isn't they that kill. where logic?
1: Isn't that where logic is processed as well?
0: Well, part of it. Yeah. Part of the logic function exists there. But most importantly, in, in terms of what we're talking about and the ability to inhibit someone is this, you know, is this impulse control. And if you look at the frontal lobe of a, of a psychopathic brain, there's, there's just no brain activity. There's, there's nothing there, which is a frightening wow. thing. Now, so a psychopath nature born that way, there is no known cure for a psychopath. They are individuals who simply cannot feel a normal range of emotions or empathize with another living thing. It's simply impossible. The analogy that I use all the time to describe this is imagine an electronic device, say a a hairdryer, right? If it's plugged in the wall, it works just fine. If you pull the plug out of the wall, you got a useless item in your hand. When it comes to empathy, the ability to connect emotionally with another human being, it's like the psychopath's empathy cord is just pulled out of the wall. They can't do it, it's impossible for them biologically. A sociopath is different. Sociopaths, we believe, are environmentally socialized, hence sociopath, socialized into this predatory behavior. Classic example in the serial killer world is Eileen Warnos. You may be familiar with Eileen Warnos the the film Monster Charlize Theron played her in just an incredibly powerful fashion. This is a woman who had been tragically brutalized throughout her life, br- absolutely brutalized. She became conditioned into a, a retaliatory mode, a predator herself and began to prey on the very men that she believed had harmed her over time. So she could feel normal range of emotions. And sociopaths tend to be volatile. Sociopaths tend to have mood swings. They tend to have bouts of anger and rage. You can certainly see that in Eileen Warnos's videos that are available. You can watch them on, on uh, you know, YouTube. You can see the rage and the anger there. She looks unhinged, completely unhinged. That's a sociopath because they actually can feel a range of normal emotions the problem is if they have if they're a hair dryer their plug in the wall is faulty it just doesn't work right sometimes it kind of works sometimes it doesn't and that's why they're all over the place the good news is about sociopaths is they're easier to detect in your environment it's much easier to see a sociopath around you because they're going to seem off they're going to seem to have these strange you know emotional patterns whereas a psychopath is just below the radar. Cool cucumber, you know, unflappable. So psychopaths are actually much more dangerous and more difficult to detect.
1: Yeah, I I can't remember who I was interviewing, but we we were talking more about the negative effects of like sexual assault, rape, you know, child molestation, that kind of thing. And to me, that's kind of what creates a lot of this sociopathic behavior Mm -hmm. that that perpetuates itself for generations in, especially in the, in the sexually deviant type of areas where if you were molested as a child and abused as a child, then they have a much higher chance of, of becoming abusers themselves. And it, that's it's true. Not-
0: that's true, but higher than average, but it's actually having been abused is a poor predictor of becoming a predator yourself. It but it works the opposite. If you if you are a predator better than if you are a sexual predator better than ninety percent of the time, the likelihood is that you yourself had been a victim. Okay. But right. projecting the forward, it's less than ten percent of the time, if you have been abused, that you will become an abuser. So it's a better predictor of what happened in the past than in the future, if you follow me. Oh, interesting. Does that, so, does that
1: make sense? Kind of. The, yeah. So, in, a, in other words,
0: in other words, if you yourself are a sexual predator, almost a hundred percent of the time, those individuals have been preyed upon themselves. They have been been mm-hmm. victims. But just because you have been preyed upon, it's less than ten percent of the time that those individuals will go on to become predators themselves.
1: Hmm. Okay. So, well, I, I guess that would make sense because there's certainly a lot more kids that are being abused then become abusers
0: yes exactly
1: Exactly. so a lot of those kids even even though they were abused when they were young don't necessarily become abusers in in the future that's right that's right exactly yeah well that makes sense because otherwise (laughs) half the population everyone everyone would be uh would would be a sexual abuser exactly right right yeah like you said through the 70s and 80s you know that it just seems that that period right in the 60s 70s and 80s and i'm wondering if like the free society of the 60s you know between between the drugs and free love and all that kind of stuff that mindset perpetuated forward and kind of created the environment where people felt more more open to to do those kind of things and there there wasn't really as much of a prohibited or, or you know the chance of A lot of criminals are criminals because they don't believe they'll get caught. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.